Hi, and welcome to another Euros 2020 and 2021 edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, pure source for all things German football. My name is Nick Wiltzeigen, and I'm starting to get really pumped about this tournament. We are in the process of getting out of the group phases and into the knockout stages. And as we all know, that is when stuff is going to get really interesting. However, Germany needs to clear one more hurdle before they enter the most exciting phase of the tournament. And on Wednesday night, Jogelov's men are taking on Hungary, who are a team that potentially still could go through to the next round if they win their match against die Nationalmannschaft. So, with both sides still having everything to play for, we thought it might be a good idea to do a little preview of the match. And to do just that, I'll be joined by Hungarian freelance journal Jezeli Maroji to talk about the upcoming match. Right, Georgie, thanks for joining us once again here on Talking Foosball. Great to have you back. Now, Hungary, they're actually in, still with a chance of progressing from the group which was labeled as the group of death. Uh, what have you made of their performances so far? I'm very proud of the performances. I mean, I, I told before the tournament that it is a group of death and we will be the dead body that will be carried out of the group of death. And we are looking at our first two... Uh, if you are telling me that we are drawing one of our games and against France, and uh, we are within touching distance of drawing the other one with Portugal, I would, pro I would have probably said to you that lay of the drugs. So it was like... I mean, I, I could have imagined, by the way, a point, but against Portugal and not France. Uh, so pretty much the national team is already punching above its weight. And I, I still find it a little bit unbelievable that we are actually going into this game uh, with that a win would mean a sure progression to the round of 16. So that's like in this group, come on. Also, it makes me pissed off that we got drawn into this group. Because like in any other, yesterday I was talking to a German TV crew and they were like, but guys, if you are getting drawn to any other group, you, you probably have a chance for progressing. I was like, yes, that's exactly so. So from any other group, I think Hungary would have a realistic chance to go through at least as a group third, maybe not this one. So yeah, I'm still not calculating with going through. But yeah, at least um, the chance yeah. is there. That, that, that's maybe more than, than we hoped for. Yeah, indeed. Well, watching Hungary, and as, as you said, they were sort of, uh, they were fighting with everything they got and they defended really well, really well organized at the back, fighting for every ball. However, after, you know, only one point or a massive point from two, two matches against Portugal and France, they now need to win, as you said. Do you think that their coach, Marco Rossi, who, who by the way, has a pass at Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, if, you, if you really want to keep this nerdy, 14 matches in the Bundesliga 2 for them, do you think that their coach, Marco Rossi, is going for another approach in the upcoming match, or is he going to stick with the defending and hoping, well, maybe I get a successful counter-attack, and after that, we just shut up shop and defend with 11 men? Option B. So, yeah, he, I, I don't think he would change anything. First, because the squad is a little bit limited. I mean, just look at the depth and then look at the depth Germany has, Portugal has, or France has. 
So it's not the same. I mean, France is playing uh, 100 million players like Dembele from the bench, and we are putting in our number 10, who is Tomasz Cherry from Mezőkövesd, a club nobody ever heard of. So this is like a big difference. No, we don't. I, I think what Rossi wanted to teach the national team, 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 doesn't really matter which, a uh, really Italian style one. He's very good at teaching it. He has used it, utilized it in his club teams. He says he wants to model, like he, he really loves the way Antonio Conte's uh, teams play and probably he models his own style somewhat after him. I think it, it, it just works. I mean, the, you can see that the players understood it. They feel, they feel comfortable in it. So I don't think that there would be much change. And with the depth of the squad we have, I don't think we can really drastically change to something. I don't like this. The squad is not made for that. I can't really see us going and trying to hurry and go at the Germany's throat from the first minute. It's, it's not our game. Probably it will be the same. Like fighting a lot, waiting for the break. If the break comes, it's okay. If it doesn't come, well, that's like the expected result anyway. Uh, what I would like to see, though, is uh, a little bit more chances. Like in two games, Portugal against Portugal, we had no chances, pretty much. Adam Solari had a header, but that was it. And the rest was like uh, from out of the box long shots. And then again, against France, the same. We scored the goal, but that was our, our only clear chance of the European Championships so far. So we have a clear problem with creating chances, progressing into the penalty area. Uh, our XG is non-existent, pretty much. Uh, Hungary has the uh, fewest touches of all the teams so far, and probably the lowest XG as well. But this is this this is because like, yeah, because it's like world-class players that we are playing against, it would be different if we played against, I don't know, Finland or Scotland, probably. Yeah, I mean, as, as you said, it's, it's, this is a very strong group. And, Atta um, attacking you... is a general problem, and it has been. Like, first of all, our two number 10s are injured. Dominic Soboslai injured, his deputy, Jolt Kalmar, injured. You need, for this to work, you need wingbacks. We have no wingbacks. So one wingback is a converted, well, Usually a converted midfielder plays in one wing back. The other wing back is a center back who actually scored a goal against France, which is absolutely like, I would have said that the, our goalkeeper, Peter Gulacci, is more likely to score a goal than him. But he scored against France, so it, it will be the peak of his career. And I mean, there is not a lot of way of going forward. We are very organized. We are fighting a lot. We are running a lot looks like there is no problem in like conditioning and the fitness levels must be up because we run like seven kilometers more than France, something like this, in the heat of 35 de degrees Celsius. So that tells you something about the fitness levels. But still, we don't really have the links to link the midfield to the strikers because we are playing without number 10s. We, we, we only have like number six and uh, eight. Every, everybody is a six or eight uh, in the middle of midfield. So there is a link missing there. 
and Adam Salai, we still don't know if he cannot play our only outlet as a target man is gone as well. So I don't know, probably hitting Germany in the break is something we can hope for, but but, but I, I would like to see at least like one or two proper chances created from open play or from set pieces. Doesn't matter as long as, as we have chances. Well, a lot of players in, in the lineup that Hungary have fielded so far during those two matches are familiar faces to Bundesliga fans. So there's the RB contingent of Peter Glatschi and Willy Orban. Up front, we have uh, Adam Scholai and uh, Roland Scholai, uh, two strikers who've been uh, playing in Germany for quite some time. Uh, and then there's always the uh, dynamic Laszlo Kleinheisler, who, first of all, has the greatest last name in world football and also played at Werder Bremen and at Darmstadt. But as you said a little bit earlier, most of the most of the rest of the squad are pretty much playing in Hungary or in other leagues that are not necessarily uh, heavily featured in the international sports press. So which of these players would you highlight is crucial for the team and what other roles against Germany going to be? First of all, we are pretty much like, as you said, like we are good for a half Bundesliga team. That's good. The other ones, you can see that there are quite many players, I think, who are probably near a step up. For example, probably Adam Lodge, who used to play in Italy, now he's playing in England as a defensive midfielder. He can well go back to uh, like elite league. He's good enough for that. And then Attila Salai, probably he will end up in an elite league very, very soon. As a left-sided central defender, he's very good. Apparently, Atletico Madrid is scouting him, and Atalanta is also scouting him. I wouldn't be surprised if Bundesliga teams uh, scouted him too. I think if there is one player I would tip for great things in the future, that would be Attila Salai from the defense. And his physicality and ball-carrying skills uh, will be probably crucial. And, well... Andra Schaefer is Schaefer is very, very interesting. Like he's playing in Slovakia. He used to play for Genoa. Oh, he used to not play for Genoa in Italy. Because maybe it was you know a little bit too much too early. And that was the same with Klein Heisler as well. Maybe Bundesliga came too soon. Now he's playing in the Croatian League. It's like Schaefer went to Italy, didn't play, went back to Slovakia. Now he plays well. He's an extremely intelligent and quite daring player. He's like a number six, number eight, but a bit, bit more attack-minded than number six. Very good passer, very intelligent, sees the games very well. He's not much of an attacking outlet either. So the, the problem is that we have a lot of intelligent, uh, well-passing uh, midfielders who are not really much, much of a threat. So Adam Lodge is no just know he's like a defensive defensive midfielder very rarely ventures forward very rarely has even a shot at opposition goal Klein Heisler yes he can do that but when he is doing that he can be absolutely wild and all over the place see sometimes trying to do too much we feel but for example against France it was the match of his life I think I mean the guy had a better dual rate than Pogba and Kante now, when you have a better dual percentage than those people, that's quite something. And you are winning more, winning more of your or duels on the pitch. It's amazing. 
his ball, ball carrying and like pressing, dodging skills are really good. And he played really mature, which is not a given. Clay Hessler is like the typical, he is the type of player who can go in two-footed on a German defender in the fifth minute of the match and get sent off for that. Or I really hope nothing like this will happen, but he can be prone to like this, like red mist descending on him. And then, then he easily gets carded. Sometimes he's trying too much. Against France, he was absolutely fantastic. I don't know if he can repeat that. If he can repeat that, that's a very good sign for us. I don't. I still don't know how we will score or how we want to. Like okay, Roland Schalai. Roland Schalai is a past. You don't. You don't want to play against him. I mean, but like Bundesliga viewers obviously know know him well enough from Freiburg, and because he's very tricky, he's he's drawing and winning falls very often. He is dribbling a lot. He's very, very difficult to, to get off the ball when he starts dribbling. And he's quick and he's tricky. And you don't want that. You absolutely don't want that. I think if, uh, if the German backline will have a problem, they will have it with Chalai. Because uh, he's good enough on, in one-on-one situation that he can take on one-on-ones against the world's best, probably. And also, like, the German backline is sometimes not really feeling the strongest of the world. But, um, like, I'm, I'm probably playing it very diplomatic. Sometimes it looks vulnerable enough. <laughs> yeah, it, it can get ugly there, the back four for Germany. But, and that's definitely Germany's greatest weakness. Uh, and it's, it's shown time and time again. And it showed a lot in the match against France. It showed for the first goal against Portugal, which was pre- pretty much the textbook way of, of picking off Germany. But if we approach this game from a little more of a German perspective and said, okay, Yogi Liv is sitting down and he's looking at this Hungarian side and he's thinking, well, let me let me find out where where are the biggest weaknesses of this side? Where what do you think his conclusions are probably going to be? I think one of them is the Hungarian right wing back, and they will face Gozons. And that's a very bad news for us, by the way. So if if, if there is a if we are losing balls when we are progressing the ball in midfield, there, things can turn ugly very quickly. Why? Because, as I said, we don't really have wingback, wingback, wingbacks. First game, Gergő Lovrencic played there. He's just leaving the Hungarian champions, Ferenc Varos, because he's getting older, but he's a converted right winger. He's not very, very good at defending. He's okay at defending. He has a phenomenal work rate. His morale and how his fighting is excellent, but he's very prone to being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Also, sometimes he is like, he wants to fight a lot and he's saving balls he never should have saved. I mean, it's the typical, like, he wants to get, he wants to go for that ball, he wants to keep it in, and then he keeps it in and he slides out and there is his, his vacated place on the pitch. And any defender would have booted that ball out or just left it. It doesn't work going for it. And he loves to chase down those balls. So second game, Loic Nego, who is original French and naturalized, naturalized Hungarian, played there. I think he's a better solution. But still, Nego is better at defending. But maybe the French game took a lot out of him. So I would say that that, that can be a problem point. 
the center of the defense. Obviously, Willy Orban is class, right? Attila Salai, I would say, almost at the level of Orban without the experience. The third one, Andre Botka, is playing out of his skin. He's, I think he's playing uh, near the maximum of his capacities. But if I was to target any of the three Hungarian centre-backs, that would be Botka. Because he's not that experienced and also he's not that physical. He's rather quick, rather agile, but he's not that very physical. So maybe I would target him. But so far, I think uh, our oppositions wanted that and didn't succeed. So he, he really plays very, very extremely sponging above his weight, much like the team. So these, and well, the second problem for Hungary is Hungary will have to chase the win. We are not good at chasing the win. We are very good at grinding out a match and frustrating the opposition. See Portugal, see France, but we are not very good at uh, taking the game to the other team. I think the ultimate trolling from Germany would be just to sit back and wait for the counters. Don't go forward. Sit deep. Sit back. Let the quality decide it. And uh, obviously, I cannot see Löw doing that. Cannot see the <laughs> Germans doing that because like, those players know that they are better players. But I think the ultimate trolling against Hungary would be if you are a very good team and you just shut up shop and you wait for the breaks. And you try that, hey, Hungary, try to go forward here. And we, will, we would have really, really bad problems with creating chances in, in that. I don't think I don't think Germany would ever take that, that approach. I don't know how that would fly if Lerwood would go into the dressing room before the match. Is that, lads, let's defend. Yeah, that, that wouldn't fly. I, so I think mainly at wingbacks, maybe uh, mainly at wingbacks, especially if we are losing the ball early or in the midfield or in the wings and the wingbacks are forward, we are suspect at pace. So like very pacey players, and Germany has like quite a lot of them, can, can cause riot in the back line because we, our defense is definitely not the quickest of them all. Otherwise, like high balls, probably not that much of a problem. Not that much of a problem. Very, very quick attack, attacking sequences. That could be like how Germany scored the goals against Portugal. And uh, the French had one or two chances that was like that were like that but we are pretty much not really able to pick up when it gets really really very quick like our players apart from the bundesliga players are probably not used to play that quick you need to think very quickly you need to act very quickly and uh, and maybe that's a problem following those really ultra quick moves that's a problem for hungary so i would say this pace hitting us in transition and especially wingbacks with wingbacks we can have i i can see us having a bad problem there so plenty of plenty of uh, things that yogilov potentially could target then um, another thing uh, i sort of was struck by once watching the Euros in, in the first two rounds was the fact that Hungary were playing in front of their own fans in the uh, in Budapest in front of 68,000 people, jam-packed stadium. What a lovely thing to see after a year and a half of uh, being in a global pandemic without any, you know, with, you know, being limited to see the same two people for the same months and stuff like that. 
But that quite clearly gave Hungary a boost, and Anton and Griezmann said after the match it was, for us, being used to like quiet stadiums, this was actually quite brutal. But now the shoe's on the other foot. Hungary are actually going away to Munich. How do you think that is going to impact the match? I'm sure that uh, there it will have some impact. Like the crowd was clearly the 12th player, and the Heat was the 13th against uh, France because the Heat influenced the play quite a lot. It's quite brutal now. Today we have like 36. It was the same last weekend, so there is problem with that. Uh, yes, they will miss the fans. That's for sure. I mean, it's just a different level. I, I was at the game against France, and it was just crazy. I mean, you, you are getting used to things being in silence for one and a half years or things being very muted. And then I went up and I, I can absolutely, I, I can see what Griezmann said. Just, I was like, what is this noise? What is this noise level? And you think about like, by this point, I'm going to first national match of mine was in 1989 against Malta. So I'm going for matches for 32 years now, national team matches. And still, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of matches, it still hits you. You, you were getting used to that, but you kind of forget that how noisy is it? How crazy loud is it? And it was something absolutely, like, really thrilling to be a part of. I mean, just, it was just a brutal sonic attack on us. It was, it was amazing. It won't have the same effect. And we will miss it. We will miss it. It, it, it. We will miss it because it probably, it's like causing problems with communication for the other team as well. Obviously for us as well, but at least we are, we are at home and we are enjoying the crowd support. So now it just tables are turning. I don't know how, how many Hungarian play, uh, fans are allowed in Tunisian, but it will be totally different and not in a good way, not in a good way. So maybe we are losing something of, of this kind of like crowd fear factor, or I don't know what, if they, I don't know if these, this level of players have fear from the crowd or something or, but, but maybe, but maybe as yes, they, they are not used to that level of noise anymore. They, they have to readjust themselves to deal with that noise. So that's gone. That that's probably makes a little less dangerous for Germany. Yeah, I think if you look at like certain stats over over the last you know fifteen sixteen months, and you see that the level of intensity has gone down in in most leagues in terms of the running that's been done, in terms of uh, how many uh, close duels have been fought on the pitch, that number has decreased. So. I mean, it's quite clear that the crowd has some effect on the players on the pitch and, you know, being reintroduced to that effect after, you know, one and a half years without it. Uh, yeah, it, it must definitely be be a, a, a scary experience for some players, I would imagine. Um, now, changing topics ever so slightly, on our last episode, we were talking about the fact that the city of Munich wanted to light the Allianz Arena with the rainbow flag signaling support for the LGBTQ community. But the city's council of Munich obviously didn't get its way because UEFA said no. That's the same UEFA that said, yes, Manuel Neuer, you can wear a captain's armband featuring that same rainbow flag because one of those things is political and the other one isn't, according to UEFA. Now, what's been made of that 
you know, the rainbow flag on Manuel Neuer's arm and the wishes of the politicians in, in Munich by Hungarian politicians and the press in Hungary. Um, you know, the last time we spoke about something, some similar topics, and they were quite heavily debated in, in the Hungarian press, I seem to remember. Yeah, it will be like, obviously, the Hungarian government went like, yeah, thank you, like, see UEFA, thank you for the decision. It's like, it would have been a political gesture or provocative gesture or whatever. And, uh, well, but then you have to, you know, you have to ask about the uh, Hungarian political inter interference in the Hungarian sports affairs itself. Like, an insane amount of money dumped into sports and dumped into football. So, isn't that political in a way? Yes, it is, obviously, because they are they are getting political capital of that. So it's kind of like that is good. That is, this isn't good because this like the government doesn't like it. Um, well, and also like I think it asks questions about these kind of big international sports organizations. Like what is politics then? How can you define it? If Neuer can wear the rainbow wear armband, but then the stadium cannot. I mean, like, how do you decide this? How do you decide this? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense when, like, the Olymp IOC says, like, no politics at the Olympics. Da, 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 da. It's not political thing. But I think sport was always, always, in the history of sport, it was always used by politicians for their own reasons. And of course, here we have that too. Here we have that too. I don't think I, in the press there is a division, but that's more like a division in society, I would say, right? So, so obviously those who are like siding with the current government, they are like, yeah, this is the way to go. Like, no, no rainbow, nothing. And of course, there is division in the society and the other side of society is like, oh, fine, rainbow, that's good. That's a good message after passing a law in the Hungarian parliament that was like really detrimental or seems really detrimental because it's not in effect yet uh, for rights. And well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the whole thing is coming off very well for UEFA, neither for the Hungarian government, probably. And also, I don't know. I mean, I we were fifty-six thousand or something uh, against France. You know, the, probably this was the last thing we were caring about. Maybe it shows our shallowness because we are just like the magic of football took over. But maybe that's what football is for. I wouldn't have a problem if the Allianz Arena would swim in rainbow colors at all. Uh, like at least half of us would find no problem with that. The other half would probably find problems with that. So it, it it just shows, I would say, like deep political and society divisions in Hungary itself. You mentioned being at the match against France. I mean, I just, uh, when I was preparing for this podcast, I, I came over a couple of articles that uh, had some concerning uh, content in, in regards of that there are actually allegations, from what I gather, that 
there were monkey chants against some of the French national team players. Did, did you hear them when you were at the match? No. The, the answer is clearly no. But, you know, like, there were insane noise level. So it's really, really difficult uh, to make everything out. And nobody knows it. There are no details. So we don't know anything about it. I don't know what observers or sound mics could have picked them up. In general, yes, Hungary does have a problem with the hardcore supporters, but that's, I think that's like a general problems all over Europe with ultra groups, but a lot of them don't bother to turn up to national games. And Hungary has like quite a hardcore ultra section for national team, which is non-club affiliated. So they are not ultras of Ferenc Varos or Homeweid or any other Hungarian teams, or their affiliation is secondary. Uh, they are first and foremost ultras of the of the Hungarian national team. So their presence is quite felt in the stands. And seen, if you are seeing that, like everything is red, they're in black. So monkey chance, monkey chance, monkey noises. I didn't hear any. I didn't hear any. I didn't hear actually anything throughout all the game that would have warranted anything on the part of UEFA. There was nothing, pretty much. There was not even like it's it's customary to have some like uh, I don't know pro Transylvania chance chance and stuff like this. That was not even that, as far as I remember, or not overly. So anything that was picked up was probably isolated. Well, we can get well get fined against the Portuguese, but because there there was a Cristiano homosexual chant aimed at Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. That 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 will probably result in a fine, but otherwise, like the crowd behaved quite well. I mean, looking at the standards, uh, monkey noises. I, I I I really I. If anybody did that, it's absolutely stupid. That guy is an idiot and causing great deal of harm, right? Because that's something that, as far as I see. This is an area which got noticeably better over the decades. Like in the 1990s, monkey noises was a thing. Absolutely. Like there was a huge scandal when Ajax came, came to Budapest to play in the Champions League against Ferenc Varos. Uh, Luis van Gaal wanted to order his team off the pitch at halftime and don't go back because there were monkey noises and then there were. But this this is the kind of thing that uh, I would say that became rare, more and more rare over the times. I I really don't remember much problems with that. So that's why I would be surprised. That's what I would be surprised. But because it be, kind of became a non-issue for quite some time, probably has to do with the thing that like, well, look at the teams. Almost all of the uh, look. Almost all of our club teams have black players, for example. So it doesn't really make uh, any kind of sense making this. It almost completely disappeared. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you have you hear it, but it's usually more like isolated and from a smaller group of idiots, so to say. I don't know. I would like to. I really would like to hear what was because even like Luca Dean said he didn't hear anything. And I did, I certainly didn't hear anything. Like the only two problematic things I could pick up was like booing the French national anthem, but that's not that's not like that's not a final blow offense. That just bad manners, 
mostly. And the other thing was like projectiles. So beer cups were thrown in. But both both sets of fans did that. So the uh, the French also rained beer cups on Gulachi in the second half. And on their own players as well, and on the referee as well. So both sets of fans were guilty of that, absolutely. But otherwise, there was no crowd. It was quite friendly. I, it was friendlier than, than I expected because, like, since the First World War, Hungary and France has, like, this kind of, like, not, like, especially in, like, far-right and ultra-nationalist groups, France is not loved very much, Right. So I was prepared for more, but it went down quite okay. So I was quite surprised, actually, that UEFA is uh, is investigating. I, I'm really curious what they picked up. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. Uh, one one thing we maybe have to uh, clarify a little bit for some of our listeners is the, the pro-Transylvania <laughs> chance you were talking about. I mean, that is about the fact that Romania and Hungary do have a bit of an disagreement about some uh, some territories right yes and some million ethnic hungarians living in romania and now yeah like as we are joking hungary is the country that is bordering itself because like so like obviously like very quick history lesson that two-thirds of hungary were lost after world war one meaning that pretty much in every neighboring country there is a Hungary and my ethnic minority who simply got on the other side of the border and got stuck there and yes yes that's like there is usually like pro transylvanian chanting like let me get the magyarországi which means like transylvania will be hungary again uh, stuff like this so uh, these kind of chants are yeah quite usual by the way by the way, you can see quite many Transylvanian and Slovakian-Hungarian fans coming to Hungarian national team matches. So I, I also I also met fan, uh, fans from Kolozsvár, Cluj in Romania, and they traveled all the way. That it's kind of like national team matches are these kind of gatherings which they can participate in. And they are absolutely welcome to that because they have like a lot of them have still like maybe they are living in romania or slake or serbia or anywhere but still like ethnic hungarians they are affiliated more to the hungarian national team to their to the country's national team they live in sometimes they have the dual affiliation like they are okay with both or they are supporting both and uh, but for a lot of them it's like hungary yeah and they come to national team games i'm i'm probably we will see we will see some of them Munich as well. Yeah, we were touching on this a little bit earlier, but obviously uh, sports watching, it's, it's a thing. And you mentioned that Victor Orban and his government have sunk a lot of money into football. So given that stuff like uh, freedom of the press and speech, rights of the gay community and other minorities haven't necessarily been something that the Orban government has improved over the years. Actually, I'm putting this in very kind terms, but they've been fucking crushing all of those rights, pretty much. But given that they haven't really cared about that, and that UEFA have sort of a charter of things we care about, things we want to see in this world, and pretty much all those things that the Auburn government has worked against are things that UEFA says they care about. But when it comes to Victor Auburn, Budapest as a place... UEFA seems to be absolutely fine with it. So what's been going on? How how has that happened? Well, UEFA is probably fine with a lot of things. 
until Hungary promises to get packed house out, right? Good for the atmosphere, good for the good for the visuals, good for the Euros, and obviously like okay, everybody wants to make kind of a political capital of it as well. Like the Hungarian government wants to show off in a way that see, we are doing quite well with vaccination rates, like illness rates are down. See, we can we can do this. That's how we did it in the pandemic. See, ours is the only stadium that is full of fans and life. And like I would say that sends quite a strong message, no? Like I, I was reading Twitter and like everybody was, oh, what an atmosphere. Finally, finally. I hope it doesn't get like doesn't backfire on us in a way. Uh, for sports watching, yeah, obviously the government has declared itself like sports friendly and sports supporting. And that was a marked change from a lot of earlier governments since the 1990s that were not really giving many shits about sports. And you can see that like sports was an underfunded area. Infrastructure was in ruins, but literally in the case of football stadium. So I think it also comes from a genuine place. So actually, I would say like Viktor Orban can be very cynical and he's a very like very smart politician, but also like his love for football or love for sports or 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 how he thinks about sports as being good for like the national profile and like the people's like people obviously get their morale up if if some sports teams are doing doing well. This seems to come from a genuine place, I would say. So it's not just like political thinking, but he believes in this. He believes in like Hungarian football can be better. And he said that, yeah, we are dumping money into this area. This is like for us strategic uh, ground, sports in general. Yes, we are supporting it. We are helping it. We are channeling funds into that. We are doing probably the biggest infrastructural change to Hungarian sports and Hungarian football as well, ever. Like pretty much by now, all first division teams have new stadium. Second division teams, most of them have something like a new stadium. And then the academies and then the training pitches. So it goes quite deep as well. And a lot of, lot of this was needed because this was a very, very neglected area. Especially like, of course, in the years of like hard communism, Sports was used as a political capital as well, and they were dumping some money into sports as well and the infrastructure as well. But then they started to pull out that support. And after 1990, there were much more pressing problems than sports. And the whole thing just came, just ended up a bit run down. And you could see it all over the country. So now the Orban government took a huge breath and like, yeah, here you go. There is the money. There is the support. Do something with it. And it's also a way for some strange reason, like whoever builds the stadium is usually closely affiliated in some way to the government and like, you know, this kind of dealings. But this is not not really just the Orban government. This is like general Hungar Hungarian politics <laughs> at work, but it's maybe like uh, more in the forefront now. So I think the whole thing is came at an enormous cost. And when you are looking at it and like, hey, healthcare, stuff like this, 
like maybe maybe we should dump more money on this and last sport and it became as i said that there is a clear division in the hungarian society this division goes over to sports as well so now you see whenever the national team does well there is a sizable group who is like like rooting against the national team why because it's kind of like the representative of the system and a lot of other people are like even even if they don't agree with the government still is the national team still is the national we are proud of the national team right so it's really i think it is kind of sad that it became a divisive topic maybe it's overblown probably it's overblown like the, the amount of money going into football and sports is probably well overblown on the other hand a lot of things that were done were needed and without that uh, sports would be in kind of bad state it was in a bad state it's still far from its healthiest but well i i am really i'm really like kind of like fearful of if there is a government change at any time sport became so symbolic of the orban government that maybe if another government comes in they would just pull the plug like said that okay see you had this 12 years or so you were swimming in money no this is not there anymore bye try to try, try to survive and i don't think that hungarian sport is fit enough to survive by itself without any kind of state support so it can really backfire in the long run i hope it don't get so because i like sports and but there is a real danger of that that it became so symbolic that cutting it off would be also symbolic mm. and you know when it comes to this match uh and you know changing topics ever so slightly again uh talking about symbolism what's more symbolic of the german national team not being favorites in a match and then win it and win it against the side that has played the prettiest football i mean that's pretty much what german football has become known for over, over the years I mean, that's the sort of thing that I hear time and time again uh, when I tell people that I'm interested in German football. They say, oh, yeah, you know, the, it's, it's it's the machine. It's machine football. It's, you know, they always grind out two chances and score and then it just defend and tackle hard. And um, say what you want uh, about Germany's four World Cups. Two of them have come against sides that probably should have won the tournament. And one of them came against Hungary in 1954. And Hungary, probably besides the Dutch in 74, probably still the greatest side that should have won the World Cup that didn't. Probably okay. that's the deepest wound for us. <laughs> yeah, but you know, given, given that, that, that story passed, how's, how's the matchup between Germany and Hungary regarded in the press? Because I've been reading the German press um, and the Norwegian press about this match. And, um, you know, they're just preparing for the match like it's a normal international but maybe it's something more for for the Hungarians. Maybe slightly, because again, this like this is like the symbolic point of what could have been the the highest point ever for Hungarian football, and it was not to be. And it's like the, this wound is really, really, really running deep. I mean, everybody, everybody who grew up in a football loving family knows about fifty four. And like the wonder of Bern, which is for us a nightmare. And but but no, there's there's not really much going back to that now. I th I think even the Hungarian press is like quite realistic in this. They are like, yeah, we are in the group of death, 
yes, we can be well proud of what the team did so far. And we are very, ple very pleased that there is still a chance for progressing against this game. But it's quite, I think, one of the things we have learned that the past is the past. And, uh, and it's long gone. It's long gone. It's like, I can't imagine Hungary for world domination or something like this. I can't really imagine hum Hungary with its resources uh, doing a very, very deep run at the Euros or World Cup. Well, first of all, we would have to qualify for the World Cup. That didn't, we, we didn't manage this since 1986. So I think both the press and the fans became more realistic about Hungarian football in the last, I think I see a shift in the last 10, 15 years. We are kind of assessing the, ourselves more realistically now because when I started go to national teams, we were kind of living in the past, yes, or past glory. Like, yeah, of course, like Pushkash and like, magical Magyars and everything like that. And we have this huge tradition, two World Cup finals and everything. But then you looked at the matches and the first national team a match of mine was Hungary-Malta and we drew at home against Malta and it was awful. So in the last 30 years for my generation, this is what we get. Draws against Malta. Actually, there is a loss against Malta. And there is a loss against Andorra. And there is an 8-1 loss against the Netherlands. And if you are facing this, the end of drawing in San Marino, uh, no, not San Marino, it was Liechtenstein. It was Liechtenstein we drew against. So if you, if you are getting these humiliating results in a quite regular uh, pattern, sometime, uh, after some, some years, you think, yeah, probably we shouldn't live in the past because we are crap now. And now the level got better. The national team clearly got better. I wrote that this Hungarian national team as a unit, how they play, how they understand tactics, how they can bring the tactics alive, is probably the best of the last 30 years. Maybe it's not. That our last, uh, uh, last national team at the Euros five years ago that made it to the last 16 probably had bigger names. This team is playing better, I would say. So no, there, there is not really much about like going back and this is the time for revenge. No, not any of this. It's like quite modest. Yeah, we go there. We will try our best. If we don't succeed, we don't succeed. Is the expected result. If we succeed, it's something. It's something really big. Yeah, and uh, did you, by the way, do you know who was in charge of the Hungarian national team the last time they won against Germany? The last time it should be Lothar Matthäus. It was. It was a German coach back in. We, yeah, we 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 won two 0 in Kaiserslautern, I think. Yes, yes. The, 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 the fun thing was that the, that was Hungary B actually. <laughs> so like because it came, it was right right before European Championships, right <laughs> or something like that. Uh, so six or seven of our usual squad said that they are going on summer holidays. And Lothar was outraged. He was like, come on, you can't do this. But they could do this so because it was friendly. So they withdrew from the squad. And he was calling up players. And it was like half, half an A squad, but half a B squad, rather. And nobody expected, we, we absolutely expected like a 5 0 drubbing or something like this. And I really clearly remember I was watching it. I was just back living with my parents. And we were watching it, and Shandor Torgale has a, had a one-on-one on Khan, like in two minutes, and he missed it. And then he scored the next one, 
and then it just got better and better and we were like wow how did this how did this come around we were absolutely we were sure that we we're gonna get trashed <laughs> like with that team it was like those, those players never played in the national team before some of them or just were bench warmers and just came up against germany and what wow but you know that that kind of like gives belief in a way i mean we like portugal is our bogey team we still were unable i think portugal is on the only national team hungary played with uh more than 10 times and never won they have a horrible record against portugal there must be something in their football our record against france used to be good not anymore so no we don't really like to play france or french teams german teams there is something probably in the style that fits better our style. So like some of the German-Hungarian matches I've seen were quite open affairs. I remember drawing Budapest, surely. And uh, so maybe that's that, that's still in memory. I mean, winning in Kaiserslautern, that's still in the memory of the players. So maybe some of it is like, yeah, we can do it. Also, like uh, half of the starting 11 is Bundesliga players or players that had some kind of Bundesliga past. So probably of all schools of play, we are most well well equipped against the German style of play because those players got used to Bundesliga opponents and the intensity of how the German teams play and they know it inside out. I mean, Willy Orban is the product of the German system pretty much. And uh, so those things maybe give a little bit more chance. We are probably okay equipped against the German style. Mm. I will eat the, I will absolutely eat this when Germany will be 6-0 up or something. So what's your prediction for the match? This is going to be my last question. I think I think we will lose. I really wish that when it comes to the like 80th minute, we will still be in it. So I would say like 3-1 Germany. All right, cool. Uh, before I let you go, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Yes, you can find me mostly on Twitter at the handle mgergo or look for Gergay Marush uh, and uh, watch me tweet about like mostly football but uh, but when you have to block me that will be about rhythmic gymnastics and gymnastics <laughs> because that's my other that, that's my other favorite sport so if you are seeing me firing off 80 tweets after each other about rhythmic gymnastics that's there is something going on in rhythmic gymnastics so then the football fans have to block me otherwise uh, otherwise it's mostly football and hungarian football and i try to get like a little bit deeper into like this as you said like not very well known hungarian players because there are quite a few i think that would deserve the attention Excellent. Once again, thanks to Jerzy Maroji for joining us on Talking Foosball. It's always great to have him on. We'll be back during the break between the group phases and the knockout stages with a match review of Germany-Hungary. And that is to come later on in the week. In the meantime, make sure to follow our podcast on Twitter at Talking Foosball. If you want to hit me up, uh, Nick Viltai, that is, you can do that at at your musings on Twitter. And if you have the time and you don't mind, give us a rating on iTunes, tell your friends about us, and make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you'll be listening to our next episode as well. Until then, it's goodbye for now.